0: Hey, this is Asia Day, and this is Laura Varney, and you're listening to Heavy Topics with Lightweights. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome back. Uh, We're so excited today because, number one, we have one of our best friends, Amanda, on the show. But also, not only is she one of our best friends, she is a super intelligent economist, and so she's going to educate us on what's going on right now.
1: Absolutely. We're just going to jump right into it right now because it is an enticing conversation but also pretty long, so get your wine, hunker in and enjoy this episode.
0: Yeah, and thanks you guys for submitting your questions. They were all really great and I think we got to answer all of them. Remember to visit us um on Instagram at heavy topics and to rate and review. Yes, thank you so much. We're excited for you guys to hear this episode. Enjoy
1: okay and we're recording hello 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 amanda
0: hi hello welcome (laughs) to the podcast
1: welcome first time what what is it called long time listener first time caller
0: yeah first time podcaster period yeah We're so happy to have you. We're really excited.
1: And I think from just the questions, a lot of people are excited to um, hear what you have to say about the state of the world right now.
0: So why don't you go ahead first and introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do as far as your career goes. Well, I
1: guess maybe I should start because Amanda and I first met each other 10, what was it, 10 years Mm -hmm. ago, Amanda?
2: Yeah, probably over 10 years now.
1: Oh my God, don't say that. So I went to USF, uh, University of San Francisco with one of her friends from uh, high school and Amanda went to Berkeley. So one day, do you want to oh my God, our meeting story is like the most epic meeting story ever. So every year uh, USF had like a homecoming and uh, that year. I feel like it was 2007. Oh my God, it is over 10 years. But we had a Wyclef, Jean come in and perform. And then that was the first time I met Amanda and we hit it off immediately. The concert was crazy And then somehow we found ourselves in the tour bus of the band and then we met up with them at the hotel room and then we got one of the band members to buy us Jack in the box. And that was our very first hangout.
0: (laughs) That sounds kind of like how things were even like years later when I met Amanda. (laughs) That sounds like something that would happen then too. Right. Of course you end up at Jack in the Box.
1: (laughs) I know, right? So then I went, I came down to LA Uh, first and then to go to grad school and then amanda came down to get her phd at ucla and then that's where she met laura and then now we're a big happy family but when was the first time we met
2: Mm. laura i feel like it must have been during the first year in la
0: i'm trying to think like the first time i met you
1: was it maybe a birthday it wasn't probably. the Abbey,
0: was it? It was before. Th- I knew it you before was before
1: that. Yeah, probably before the Abbey. I don't know. When was the first time?
0: I don't know. It had to have been like a birthday party or something like that. But my first time at Jack in the Box ever in my life was <laughs> my first. Wait, hold on. My first and only time at Jack in the Box was with Panda. We had gone out one night. We were, of course, I will say slightly intoxicated (laughs) I think Amanda like took her shoes off that night and walked barefoot
2: no no I would I would
0: never Amanda no pretty sure you did Um, (laughs) and then we went to jack-in-the-box in in Santa Monica and I had never had it before and we got really cheap tacos yeah and I I I think like french fries and I've Never vomited so violently in my life. <laughs> I got so sick. I'm sure it wasn't just from the Jack in the Box, but like, whoa. Uh,
2: yeah. I, I feel just, like I've introduced a lot of people to tacos at Jack in the Box <laughs> with the buttermilk, though, right? Yeah, dipped in buttermilk. You're the one who put me on that, Asia. Uh, dipped yeah. in buttermilk.
1: Yep. In they, the ranch. They have a ranch buttermilk ranch. sauce at Jack in the
0: Box. Tacos and ranch. Interesting.
1: Yeah. It's so good. I haven't had it in such a long time. Cause now at like 33, it makes me feel like absolute yeah.
0: shit.
1: But sometimes, you know, you just got to dip into the craving, you know?
0: Yeah. You know, in, my your 20s, lunch. in your twenties, you can eat that shit and like, you can you eat totally that fine. and
1: feel 100% fine and skinny and like living your best life. But once I would say 28 hits, you can't you can't be eating the same way anymore, man. It's crazy. Things change. Things yeah. change. Body Things changes. Oh.
2: <laughs> I think you can do it in moderation. So I think you can just get like two of the tacos and only eat that. <laughs> because <laughs> before I used to get like you know, like four tacos, six tacos and eat them all at once. Oh my God. Anyways, that
1: is our introduction to Amanda.
2: <laughs> so, so let me tell you why you should listen to me and why I'm an expert in economics. Right. <laughs> take over. 99 cent tacos. <laughs> um, so, so I came to UCLA to do my PhD in economics. Um, and I kind of, so econ has a lot of different fields. I think when people think of economists, they think of either stocks or they think of the general economy. And they're actually like pretty wide, different things um, related, of course, but like when people go to school to study, to become an economist, you can kind of specialize in a lot of different fields. So. Um, I actually kind of more specialized in like the micro applied side. So looking at data, um, but I have a lot of my grad school friends kind of went on to specialize in monetary policy and they went on to work, um, in, in like the central banks, um, around the world. Um, and then I have other friends who also kind of specialize in finance and have looked into, um, the finance side of things. So. There's a lot of different areas and there's a lot of really smart people who are kind of specializing in those topics. Um and so I think today we'll probably talk more about like how does that translate down to, you know, like the regular person and how are they impacted by the economy. Um but yeah, so I, I work now in the private sector, um, and I'm kind of a specialist in health economics. So um I think I've been I've been following COVID-19 and the impact pretty closely. Um, and it's a pretty interesting, um, it's an interesting, really novel, well, they call it novel coronavirus because it's a new coronavirus, right? But it's a really novel situation that I think we don't have a lot of information about. So um, I was thinking about how I wanted to talk about like economics and and answering people's questions. There's so much like uncertainty when it comes to answering a question and I think it's um similar to economics is actually really similar to medicine if you think about it as sort of like an imperfect science so there's things like where we know kind of this problem and we know a solution that will probably work most of the time so like let's say you have an infection you have a UTI a doctor can prescribe you an antibiotic and like 99% 99% of the time that works and doesn't have any adverse side effects. And you, know, you can fix that situation, right? Same with economics. There's some things where, okay, we see a problem that we've seen before, um, maybe like a, a dip in spending for whatever reason. And there's a couple of different like policy prescriptions that you know, people in the central bank or the federal government can do, and it'll probably you know, work and we know how that works. But I think now we're kind of in uncharted territory, medically and economically. So, like, obviously, we have this virus, which we don't know exactly how to treat. Um, so, we, we're trying a lot of different things. Uh, but even when, even when people say like evidence-based, like these studies have shown, these studies are all like, you know, preliminary, really small samples, and like we're still learning. So there's really like no hard facts in this situation medically and also economically. So like we're kind of beyond the point where we've exhausted a lot of our like standard, you know, policy prescriptions. And we're kind of in uncharted territory testing out what's going to work to like help people. Um, So,
1: well, that sounds scary. (laughs) (laughs) It It sounds scary,
0: but I really like the way you related it. Like it made so much sense to me when you related it to like having a UTI or something like that that like the medicine works 99% of the time, like that made so much sense to me. So thanks for that comparison.
2: And even like, and the thing is, is that it doesn't even necessarily always work. Right. Even when we know. So there's always, I think that's really important to think about when people talk about it, like what's going to happen in some ways, the uncertainty is scary, but it's also kind of like, that's how it always is really. And, um, it's not necessarily a bad thing, right? It's just more like we're trying to adapt. And um, in some cases, some people's experiences may not be, you know, may not fit what we think. And I think that's important to think about when you like read articles and you think about like what policies people are passing. Like, we don't know exactly if it will help everybody, but we're trying to help everyone in aggregate at least.
0: Right,
1: yeah. So I think also what we're gonna do is, like Amanda said, she works in the private sector for a company called GoodRx, and she has written a lot of blog posts about like uh, resources, what's going on right now. So we'll go ahead and link those blog posts in the um, show notes, so you guys can read what she has been writing as
0: well.
2: I put together a couple of things, um, different resources, trying to help people, and we kind of focus on the public health side. But like, like I wrote up a piece on. Um, all kind of tracking all the stimulus measures and what the public health um, measures are in those. And um, we also kind of put together a nice, like searchable table of drive-through testing sites. So um,
1: I drove past for my first time ever accidentally a drive-through testing site the other day. Oh, where? Um, It was kind of in like the Los Feliz area
0: Hmm.
1: on Vermont. And it was very like, it, it kind of honestly looked like a farmer's market because it was a bunch of tents. And if it oh wasn't God. in front of a hospital, I wouldn't have known exactly what it was, you know?
0: Was but, it really packed? No, there was no one there. Interesting. Yeah.
2: By the way, they are, LA County is expanding the testing now to essential workers who aren't feeling symptoms. So before, you know, you, it was only limited to people who have symptoms. And now like if you're a grocery store worker or like an essential government employee, um, you can get testing too, which is pretty cool.
1: Yeah. I mean, I feel is the reason why they didn't expand that before because they just didn't have enough tests or they didn't think that it was important if you didn't have um, show any effects.
2: Oh, for sure. It's just like capacity. So like they have the biggest problem with, I think are like, response to this is that we don't have there's just a supply um limited supply of tests yeah there's a supply side issue which is like worsened by the fact that like you know not everyone can work so um not having enough tests who are sick is starting to really like figure out how to expand testing so that we can um contact trace people which is when you you know someone is sick and you test everyone that they interacted with and you go back and try to try to really get like a targeted set and know who has been exposed and who hasn't. So I think it's really important actually to start testing people who aren't symptomatic because the more people who know that they don't have it or know that they've been exposed and recover, that informs like our ability to reopen the economy. Right. So where are we I... getting
1: these tests?
2: Um, so there's, there's um, commercial manufactured ones. So like now, now they've expanded basically. So like you can have the tests that were created by the CDC and also commercial um, manufacturers are making them and supplying them.
0: I actually took the antibody test last night because I work in an essential business, a healthcare business. So I took the antibody test last night, which was really interesting.
1: How was, what was the process of the test? So
0: there's a, There are two – I think there are a couple different ones that we had, but the one I did, they just, like, prick your finger. You put the blood in, like, a little tray, and then they add a couple drops of whatever it is, and then you wait 15 minutes to see.
1: Oh, 15 minutes.
2: That's not good. Yeah, it's
0: it's really quick, yeah.
2: And then sorry, go, Amanda. I was just going to say, so the difference between the the tasks is – the antibody test sees if you have had expo, if you currently or previously had exposure, um, and then the the um, the test for the diagnostic test is to see if you like actively have it. Actually, and that, have, yeah yeah.
1: So yeah. if you test positive for the test that Laura did, then you would have to take the diagnostic test to see if you have it.
2: Um, I don't think you necessarily need to, it, I mean, like, so let's say Laura tested positive. That just means that she has been exposed to it. And if she's not currently experiencing symptoms, like she either will, or she already has like recovered from it. Right? Yeah. So it I think almost it would have
0: know. been better if I had tested positive. Cause that would, cause I have no symptoms. So maybe that would mean like, I already had it, but like, I'm fine. So I can kind of not be as worried right
2: yeah well the thing That's is, is kind like of what they were saying last night it's like it's it's kind of good but also we don't really know exactly what it means to right. have been exposed so it's like there's still the chance that like you could transmit to people um and there's still the chance that like you could get there's definitely the chance that you can get reinfected like people are there is a rate of reinfection that they're finding so like it doesn't mean you're immune but it means that you've been at least exposed and you have like antibodies that have previously like fought it off right right okay
1: so what are your thoughts on the people who are protesting now in order to open up the the economy right now
2: it drives me crazy <laughs> <laughs> it makes me so angry like right because it seems like counterintuitive right I mean, and it's just, it's just stupid. I mean, like, um, it's not going to do anything. (laughs) It's just going to worsen it. So I think that I actually read a really interesting article the other day, which is really useful. It was kind of comparing different measures to like Swiss cheese layers. So no measure is like perfect. But if you do enough of them, and you layer them, then like, you can kind of um, cover up the gaps in these measures. So, um, anyway, sorry, that's a tangent. No, I but love that.
0: <laughs> no, I love these analogies. It's so helpful to me. Like I'm, I'm a visual learner. So when you say stuff like that, I'm like, Oh, this makes sense. Like, yeah. yeah and sometimes you have to break it down like that because stuff like this is
1: really complicated and hard yeah. to understand. So if you can Describe it in a way that people can visualize. Then it's easier to understand for some.
2: And there's ways for us to reopen and test it out and try to reopen safely, right? Like wearing, making everybody wear masks is part of it. Um, testing, going back and testing as many people as possible, or contact tracing people, um, taking like measures, you know, informed, thoughtful measures as to what businesses can reopen and which ones um, should. Like the those are things that we can do but protesting and like just expanding the amount of people being in contact um is just like it's baffling because it's, there's like clear things that you can do to help reopen it and that's not one of them <laughs> being around a big, being in a big group of people is just not it's just not going to um Because the idea is we want to reopen when it's safe and people can like, um, we can control the the amount of infections and the the amount of new cases that are going to pop up, right? We can manage it with our healthcare resources. So protesting it is just like prolonging the ability to do that. Um, So anyway. (laughs) The contact trace
0: testing Can you talk a little more about that? Cause that seems like it would be really difficult because well, depending on the person and like their day to day. So Mm -hmm. if someone gets tested because they have symptoms and then they have it, they test positive, they have to go back and like identify everyone that they've come in contact with in a certain period of time.
2: Yeah, and like it would be like a way to prioritize testing those people, right? So the most simple way would be the most simple example is like if um I test positive, then um I would want the people living in my household to get tested too, right? And then like whoever else and then that's kind of why social distances social distancing is important, like because it makes it easier to contact trace. Mm, right. So yeah. like um and just being able to get a like trace back the, the transmission and make sure everyone gets tested who may have been exposed and quarantined. So it's kind of like, if I went to like, oh, like my sister's friend got coronavirus when she went to a wedding and all these people at the wedding had ended up getting coronavirus as well, right? This is like, they went to a wedding a, a while ago, like um, the end of February, right, oh. before we really knew. But so like all those people at that wedding should be tested and then the people that they've been in contact with, but like, you know, at the time, if, if we're not contact tracing, then that person could be at, you know, out going to the grocery store and stuff, not quarantining themselves because they don't know that they have it yet. Right. And coming
0: in contact with 20, 30 other people.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay.
2: And doing that is better than like, if we were able to actually contact trace people properly or at least to some degree um that's better than like forcing everybody to stay home that's why everyone is forced to stay home right now is because we have no idea who's been exposed right so once you have a better idea of who's been exposed then you can relax that
1: so for you personally for like air, like daily errands groceries or whatever what are you going to the grocery store and just like paying attention to <laughs> who's you know you may be in contact over there or are you delivering in or what are, what is your daily routine?
2: Um, I'm like trying to go to the grocery store just when it's necessary. So like I've been to the grocery store, like basically once every two weeks. Um, and I'll go up, I'll go myself, um, and like obsessively hand sanitize myself when I'm there, like before I touch things and after I touch things. Um, And then at home, I'll kind of disinfect the stuff that I brought home. And I'm doing that when I get delivery from, like, a restaurant, too, is, like, um, I'll move everything so that the food is on a plate instead of on, like, the stuff that came in. And then, like, um, if there's any, like, like, if I bought beer, I'll, like, wipe down the outside of the beer beer bottle. Anytime it's a surface that's not, like, porous, I'll wipe it down with some disinfectant spray. But... um, I've read different, like I think there's different opinions on that. It's really like what you're comfortable with. Like it's probably a little bit overkill to do that for everything, but like it makes me feel comfortable, so I do that. I just
0: feel like I'd rather be safe than sorry. Like, yeah, you know what I mean. And it
2: doesn't take that long to do those things, so yeah. As long as you're just not like getting the disinfectant on the actual food, right? <laughs> right <on. laughs> you're
0: Cloroxing your.
1: I mean, but the president said that maybe we should try that. So maybe. I mean,
2: I
0: can't with this guy. (laughs) It is the craziest shit I've ever heard. You know, it's
1: funny because I, um, on Facebook, really realizing how some people are just really kind of idiots. But um, I read a post about some girl that I went to high school with, and she was basically saying that he was clearly being sarcastic like you would have to be a complete idiot to really like under, like believe that what he's saying is true.
0: And it's like, what? Dude, listen to the fucking clip. Watch the clip. There's no, no, not at all. Actually. And it's also
1: like, he's the president. Like what? Like yeah. he, there should be no room for sarcasm. He should and only be saying, and, and jo- yeah. especially about something like this. And then there's still people defending him. It does not make sense to me.
0: I think some people just go on like team so-and-so and and they will literally defend them no matter what they do.
1: There has to be some kind of line where you're like, okay, maybe he's gone too far.
0: Yeah. This guy's acting like a crazy person. I don't know. And like actually saying things that can really like end up hurting other people. Yeah, harming people.
2: (laughs) I think um, like – Right now, because everyone is like scared and kind of and anxious and trying to find something to hold on to, that it's even more like heightened, which is why I feel like it's really important that people try to like have some like moderation in how they like think about things and what kind of information they consume. Like, have you guys heard about the infodemic? No. No it's like just the fact that there's just so much like bad information being like put out there right now. Um, And I think it applies not just to like stuff directly related to coronavirus, but also like to economics and like stuff that's going on right now with like, you know, like how the economy is doing and everything. Like the infodemic is really bad. Like people are just, especially on social media, people are like posting articles or like, things that don't have aren't reliable sources or just like making conclusions that like you can't really make any conclusions about a lot of things. Right. So there's no, like, people are saying like, Oh, this is definitely like bad because X, Y, Z. And like, that's why the president shouldn't be saying those kind of things. Right. The president should not say like, Oh, this, this, um, treatment, hydroxychloroquine like definitely works. Right. He's not, he didn't say that exactly, but he implied like that, It works when the evidence for it is like very, it's it's very specific to you know a medical setting like in the hospital with a doctor administering it. But as a result, people hear that and then they don't like think it through. So then you have people like go stockpile that med and like take it, take like an unregulated version of it. And like I don't know if you guys heard, but like this couple died from like taking some. So it's just like that kind of stuff is like, especially the president has to be very careful. He's not careful with what he says, right? But anything he says people will take it as facts when it's you know even if it's based in something that he you know he's just saying like oh this could work but people are like scared so they're clinging to anything and they're like oh this definitely
1: works should we get to the questions
0: yeah let's
2: get to some questions
0: um
1: yeah like we mentioned last episode we um posted a picture of amanda laura and i and asked you guys if Uh, You had any questions for Amanda to write it in the comment section, and we're going to have Amanda answer them to the best uh, that she can. And hopefully it'll help uh, clarify a lot of questions you all have um, about our current situation.
0: Yeah. Um, Okay, so we're going to start kind of basic, and I think this might be one of those questions where you're like, we don't know. (laughs) Um, But how long is it projected for U.S. recovery?
2: Um, I don't I don't think that we really know.
0: <laughs> yeah, but, that's what I figured.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I know that I have some friends who work at the Fed and they're working on those projections and like when you think when you talk about the economy as a whole, you're talking about kind of like overall like production in the US, right? So that means like, you know, Laura's training clients and people doing training sessions and like the advertising that like Asia is like putting out like ads for and things like that right all of those things go into like production or like GDP gross domestic product which is like a measure of sort of the strength of the economy and um the main components is like consumption which is people buying stuff like someone buying a training session from Laura um investment which is like businesses buying stuff so um like someone um investing in like building a new uh a new store or something like buying a new store and like investing the capital in um building out their business um government spending which is kind of the key component of like where policy comes from so like the government like stimulus packages where they you know those trillion dollar stimulus packages those go into government spending because that's going into the economy and then like exports and imports which is basically just consumption and investment um and government spending for other countries um and so what's happened now is basically like this is a global pandemic so net export like everything is, like, taking a hit, right? It's not just the U.S. and all the lockdown in the U.S. is, is um, like, even if the lockdown in the U.S. never happened and, like, everyone was going full steam ahead, all these other countries that buy from us would have um, taken a hit as well because, you know, everyone is dealing with this pandemic. Um, not to mention that, like, Trump's trade war with China already kind of put us in a bad spot. But anyway, um, so what's happened is like basically consumer spending invest business investment and exports, you know, spending by other countries has all dropped because of the pandemic and um, what the the government has tried to do is like boost government spending because that's supposed to kind of counterbalance that um, overall. So like um, we really are kind of trying to rely on our, our government agencies, um, to like prop that part up um what was was i talking about (laughs) wait
1: so government so government spending has you're saying is kind of increased in order to balance kind of like our lack of spending yeah so what are they spending money on right now is it does a, a stimulus package go towards that
2: yeah so like um Like those those um, economic impact payments, that's like the first time they've ever done that. But that's like a direct to consumer, like here's money, go spend it, Um, and that's spending from the government that they have to take on debt to spend. Right. Um, The other thing that the not the federal government, but a government agency is doing is like um, the Fed through their monetary policy are trying to stimulate the investment part of the economy. So, like, they dropped the interest rates basically to zero. That's supposed to stimulate lending so that businesses can get out loans and, like, increase spending, um, which is just, like, that's also to stimulate the economy. So. But does that hurt
0: us in the long run? Which part? The interest rate.
2: Um, I don't – I mean – so the trade-off, the general trade-off between like interest rate with lowering the interest rate is that um, you increase inflation. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that like that's really the concern right now. The, the bigger concern is like the recession. So I think like the size of the recession is just much larger than like what the Fed. So w- remember earlier when I was saying like um, there's kind of like standard things that we can do, like take an antibiotic for a UTI, right? So like so, like, lowering the interest rate is basically, like, we gave antibiotics, right? The Fed gave antibiotics, um, but the UTI has come back, and it's, like, <laughs> raging, right? So, uh, you, we can't give more antibiotics, right? It's, like, the antibiotic itself is not alone, which is why, like, the federal government had to drop, like, these huge stimulus packages, too, because there's only so much the Fed can do, um, and they're trying to do, as you know, as much as possible, but, like, um yeah and and that's like saying like the antibiotic is something that is like tested and we know how it will impact things the more that we try like experimental things the less we know about how it will impact things and so like there's some things that you know people say could say things like why don't we just like print money and give it to people well that would like increase inflation and potentially destabilize like the whole economy so there's like certain things that like we just can't do like printing money and just giving like ten thousand dollars to every person is kind of like injecting yourself with bleach like it's not going to it's going to do more harm than good so there's like a lot of like restraint that people have to practice and like they need to be careful about what kind of things that they can do to like stimulate the economy it's not there's no like simple solution like that you know what i'm saying right So,
1: Laura, the original question was, "How long is this supposed to last?"
0: Yeah, like how long is it projected for recovery in the U.S.? And then
1: I I go. uh, I was just going to say, from my understanding, from what Amanda's saying, is that it's hard to say because there's so many different aspects to this, and they're all kind of fucked up right now. That I guess maybe the first step is trying, just trying to get the a virus under control first and then that way people can back to work get back to work right I feel like it's like
0: it's factors about like what we were talking about before. It depends on how it depends on the population's behavior, right? If people if A people do what they're supposed to do and B mayors and governors, you know, follow suit in a certain way, like ours is doing here in California, then maybe we have a chance of it happening quicker, right? So it depends on a lot of different things, but first and foremost, how we behave.
2: Mm-hmm. And I think the thing that's unique about this, like recession, is um, <clears throat> it's it's more like a natural disaster rather than like something that happened to our institutions, um, like the financial crisis in two thousand eight, like. And also the Great Depression, right? I I think there was another question that was asking about comparisons to the Great Depression. Those previous problems were, um, they were rooted in issues in like the credit markets, which um, it's just kind of like the the nature of it is a bit different. So it's kind of like, in some ways it's better, some ways it's worse because we don't know exactly how long the pandemic will last. But it's more similar to like, having a really bad natural disaster or like national security problem um, and have it be extended for a long time. So like the longer it takes that that this is an issue, that's kind of the, gonna determine how long a potential recession is. But at the same time, that means that if we are able to come up with more effective treatment and like expand testing so that we can like trace everyone and like handle the medical aspect of it better, then that kind of solves some of the problem, right i would, I, I think at this point, like things would not ima- automatically go back to normal if we like found a cure tomorrow it would it would still be painful for a while, but at least we know sort of like there's it's like rooted in a physical problem right, which is right. the virus so um to the extent that like that sort of gives a end point for things as long as you know our you know, people are doing the best they can and policymakers do kind of everything they can to stabilize in the meantime. So
1: I think, so there's no possible way to give remotely an educated guess as to when things will be back to normal.
2: I'm sure sure there's people who have given guesses. I just like, I wouldn't give one. (laughs) Right. Like I would go look at the Fed and see what their projection, what they stated and like, that's probably fine, but we don't really know exactly. Right. It depends on how, what happens in other countries too. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So our next two questions are about, um, the stock market and I think they're really great and they're questions that I have asked as well. So, um, so one is why hasn't the stock market gone down a lot more given that so much of the economy is shut down?
2: Um, so I think, I mean, that's kind of like a, just a a difference in investor sentiments and I don't know, like if you look at the stock market, uh, and you're thinking about just like the S and P like top 500 or something, those are all large, large businesses. So there will be some like amount of disconnect there between, I think like small businesses have been most impacted, um, by like shutdowns so i'm sure like a small cap index so like smaller business smaller businesses would be impacted more and their prices are probably dropping more but the stock market is some some indicator of the health of the economy but it's not like one-to-one it captures a lot of information and it captures information about like people's expectations but it's not directly it doesn't exactly follow the economy always, right? So, um, you know, there—that's just a difference in like sort of investors' expectations and their optimism, and you know, the day-to-day of what's happening. Um, plus, I, I think that stock prices are more forward-looking than they're—they're they're more forward-looking, right? So, if a stimulus package gets passed and the Fed does something, and people like think that it will help, investors think it will help, then they're more based in the for the expectation that things will recover rather than just like what's happening right now, if that makes sense.
1: So yeah. when people freak out because the stock market hits like the lowest in history, we really shouldn't be freaking out. Like it's not, it's a big deal, but it's not that big of a deal.
2: Yeah. Oh, like with your, as re, with respect to your portfolio. Yeah. Yeah. I, it depends on what your what your liquidity is so like how much money you how much you need those how long you want to hold those stocks for right so like obviously it's bad for the stock market to go down um people are losing value if as like a 30 year old i'm not 30 i'm 31 yeah as a 31 year old who's retiring you know much farther in the future it's not as much of a concern for me but for someone who's here yeah, retiring within the next few years yeah, like it's more concerning, right? Cause they need that money. Um, they need the money out of their 401k more quickly than, you know, or if someone has, has a small business and then they need to dip into their savings um, and they need it now, right? Then it's going to impact them more.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So just sticking to the stock market, um, just cause we're on that topic If we can, should we buy hella stocks now?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Disclaimer, I'm not giving any financial advice. I'm not a registered investment advisor. (laughs) But um, I think it, yeah, it depends on your ability and what your investment horizon is. If you think that the economy will recover eventually and you want, you're like, wanting to um get a return farther out in the future, then you know, right now all stock prices would be lower. So you'd be able to get them for cheaper. That's kind of, I think, the the basis for that question, right? Um but of course there's a in investment, there's always a trade-off between risk and return, right? So <clears throat> buying stocks is a riskier um investment than like buying bonds or like buying a a certificate of deposit or something like that. Um, so you have a, a bigger return, you get like a higher interest rate on it, but you also um, take the risk of the additional volatility. And I think things will be volatile for probably for a while. So if you want to like hold it for a long time, the prices are lower right now. But if uh, you anticipate that like you may need to cash in, you know, within the next year, then you don't really know I think stocks buying stocks is always like a long-term game so like you um your long-term returns are really going to dictate what you can get um not like a one-year return or something like that
1: right I mean I was always just under the assumption that you you would keep I, I guess especially at our age you would keep the stocks in the market for decades before you pull it out
0: and I mean I think that like like Amanda said, because we're still in our thir- early 30s, like we can be a, take a little more risk than if we were older and like trying to retire. So mm-hmm. just depends. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so here's a good one. What do you think is the future for small business? And do you think that the pandemic will spark any radical changes to our spending habits?
2: My guess for how things will change I think, like, businesses will, businesses will still exist sort of in the same capacity that, that they exist, you know, before the pandemic, um, and then just some businesses will have not made it through. Um, as far as, like, differences in, like, how they operate, I think they probably will incorporate, um, you know, different kinds of measures. So, like, where they can sort of diversify their income source across, like, you know, being able. So, for example, being able to provide telemedicine for like a a family family physician, I'm sure that a lot of family physician small family physician offices are going to like make sure that they can do telemedicine just in case, right? Um, and it's kind of like I'm sure that that will happen to other types of businesses as well. And like delivery, which is funny. So like I used to think like why do people use Instacart? Like you can just go to the store and get your groceries. But now I'm like oh shit! Like Instacart was like you know, they, they are filling this need that, like, has did not seem like a really big concern until now. And I think, like, those kinds of, um, those kinds of, like, diversification of revenue is going to become kind of important. So, like, a restaurant being able to, like, do takeout and stuff like that. Um, As far as, like, the, 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 services that have a lot of human contact, like, I think those are the industries that like, I am curious to see how things will adjust. So like, I think for a while they will try, we'll probably need to impose some kind of like safety measures for a while. Like, I think in like, um, some of the Asian countries that have reopened, like they do things like temperature tests and like um, everyone wears masks. I think wearing masks is like the future. Everyone's going to have to wear masks eventually. Um, and they should be wearing masks now. <laughs> but um, I think like, you know, like getting your hair done and your nails done and stuff like that, those businesses, I think, are going to have to some- somehow incorporate safety measures Um for a while. And I'm not sure exactly how that will turn out. I think it, it will learn more as we learn more about like how to treat the, the virus. and We learn more about the virus and how it's transmitted and sort of like what things are safe and what things are not safe.
0: Right. It's kind
1: of just figuring out essentially how to make your business pandemic proof.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because
1: right? we're also seeing restaurants who are turning into bodegas now. So you can pick up your takeout and then also pick up some bread and some wine while you're there as well. So it is really interesting to see businesses kind of uh, like revamp their plan, their business plan in a way to accommodate paying for um, their workers and their rent and all that stuff.
2: Yeah. I think it's actually, it's interesting because we've seen stuff like that before, not in response to pandemic, but like, so one of my friends did his dissertation on prohibition and like, the probability of like uh, beer companies surviving prohibition, a lot of it was determined by how much they diversified during prohibition. So like the beer companies that um, started making like malt beverages, and they so they used their capacity, they repurposed their manufacturing capacity to make like uh, malt beverages and like did did different products. Um, they did better and were more likely to have like still existed after prohibition ended than firms that didn't do that. And I think that that probably applies to like this situation and lots of different types of industries. So like your ability to take your, um, the capital you've already invested in. So like what you said, like a restaurant that already is paying for uh, rent for a place that has a kitchen and already has all these supplies, being able to like sell those um and kind of like get generate income in the meantime um i think actually it's a pretty good example like because we know that businesses eventually will reopen it's just a matter of trying to survive in the meantime
1: and i like the second part of that question is how do you think like consumer spending habits are going to change
2: i mean i think it already has to an extent like foot traffic is way down and people are buying different things than like they did before Um, Long-term, I don't know, yeah, I think people are going to probably buy things um, that they can use remotely for like a while.
1: And I think also from what I'm seeing in kind of the comment section of my videos is that people have finally taken seriously the idea of the savings fund. So I think people are also just starting to stockpile their money too and Mm -hmm. to make sure that they're prepared for – events like this, or even, you know, job loss or something.
0: Well, something I mean, I think future. like when you're, when there's a such a long period of time where people aren't doing the same things and going the same places and constantly in like large crowds of people, their need for spending decreases, not just for those activities, but like, you know, you're not going to this I'm just going to use Coachella as an example, because I've heard so many people say like, like in a joking way, Oh, Coachella's canceled. Like all these people who would go to Coachella for the weekend to a lot of them would spend however much money buying a new outfit for every day of the festival, plus money on the hotel and money, you know, the whole thing that they're doing. And like, when you're, not going places and not doing all these activities, your need for spending just decreases, you know? So it's more of like a basic living expenditure, which is going to be probably be that way for a while, just because people are going to be nervous even when the ban on like going out is lifted.
2: Yeah. I think the impact on like consumer sentiment will probably last longer than, you know, the, the, the pandemic itself so people will want exactly like want to feel secure and at least have enough money that they can like survive another you know another pandemic right um
0: okay thoughts on universal basic income
2: i'm like a little undecided but i think it is important um i think the the economic impact payments the recovery rebates are pretty interesting it's like the first time that the government's ever done something like that where they just i mean so usually you get aid and it's contingent on certain things right so like unemployment is contingent on you lost your job and that's when you get this payment here they gave it to everyone making under a certain amount of money um and it's kind of i mean like that's basically universal basic income like one time and it's like a one-time test of it so I would be really interested to see how that pans out like what the impact of that is of course it's like much different in practice than like what the proposal for universal basic income is but like I think it's I don't know like I think it's interesting and like I honestly on a lot of big policies I have a very undecided stance on some things because you know to the extent that they're not tested I'm like Uh, I'm open to it but like everything has a trade-off. Do we have universal basic income probably would work better in a country that had a more like competent and also more competent slash just uh, a bigger federal government. For universal basic income to really be implemented like it would require so much from the government and like it took like a pandemic and like multiple meetings for them to like come up with the, the recovery rebates to get passed. So I'm not like holding my breath for it being like politically feasible. But um, I think it's interesting. Uh, my my um, coworker, my boss is uh, from the Netherlands, and you we were talking sort of about how the Nether- Netherlands is doing. Netherlands is one of those Scandinavian countries that has, you know, like a very, very robust um, social safety net. Um, and so it's interesting because like the virus actually I mean it's the number of cases in Netherlands is pretty high for in Europe it's one of the higher ones in Europe um, but people are not you know I worried about like I guess their access to care which is really nice but on the flip side like that requires you know much higher tax base than I think like anyone wants to do in the U.S. like no one would no one's gonna pass like a a tax rate that will get us there um, or like Which would be what? not for a while. Oh, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> mm. Putting me on the spot.
1: <laughs> well, I don't know if you, um, what, what is the tax rate for the Netherlands?
2: Oh, I don't know. But I mean like the tax rate is just in those countries that have those big um, social safety nets. It's way higher than like in the U S. And um, by social
1: safety net, what do you, what exactly do you mean by that?
2: Oh, like uh healthcare and, um, education and you know like just uh right universal basic income would fall under that anytime you implement a, per, a social program it costs money um and it needs to come from like a, a revenue base like a tax revenue base so one of the package, one of the measures that they passed in that package was trying to bolster unemployment because unemployment rates spiked so much that like um they didn't have like the state didn't have the funds to administer all of the claims right so they needed help from the federal government for that so
1: where so our taxes are going towards all the stimulus money
2: yeah yeah most of the most of the measures are from congress like allocating money toward budget towards it i mean some of them are some of them are not fully paid for so like um the paid sick leave stuff the, the companies have to pay for that, but they get a payroll tax deduction, so it's like subsidized, but it's not fully paid for um, same with the, the testing, so the fact that they made testing free, the government didn't allocate money towards that except for um, for the uninsured, so it's still based on insurance companies needing to pay for that, but they made that a requirement so some of the measures like are funded, some of them are not, but nothing is free right totally so uh,
1: since some i guess taxes we would just say went to the stimulus some of the stimulus money then wouldn't it have been fair for everyone to receive stimulus money
2: i think it was more just like they didn't they wanted to give it to people who needed it the most um so like to the extent that your your taxpayer money is also going towards unemployment programs so like people who are still employed are actually the people subsidizing unemployment insurance, right?
1: Mm-hmm. It's
2: kind of like this thought of like, it's sort of like a social contract. Like you pay taxes to do like a public good kind of thing. And the government administers it.
1: Hmm. I had no idea. That's where my, I need to, I need to figure out where my taxes go.
0: I really have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a question about that too. So the, what we were talking about earlier where you were saying like, it wouldn't really be beneficial in the long run for them to just be like printing money and handing it to people. So all so none of that's not happening at all with all of the with all of this money, like the paycheck protection, the all of that, like the small business loans, that's all coming from us.
2: Yeah, it's coming, it's coming from well, not directly from us, right? So we don't have a surplus of tax revenue. So it's really coming from debt. So I think there's a question about this too like this the bill is coming out of the u s government issuing more debt, so basically taking a loan mm. on money money supply okay. so we didn't just print we didn't just directly we didn't print money for any of the measures it's being funded by like um, basically a loan
0: okay um, do you think the housing market is going to crash in six months, and will there be a good will then be a good time
2: to buy? I mean, I don't know, I don't know about crash, but um, I think that they are projecting that prices will fall. I don't know when they haven't started falling yet, but yeah, if the prices fall and you can afford it, then it's probably a good time to buy because I am sure that like, same with the stock question. It's like, it depends on your time horizon Um, because if, prices fall uh the point of buying a house partially is that you think that the value of the house will appreciate so if you think that you know eventually our economy will appreciate uh will recover um and you can afford to wait then you can buy stocks now same with like housing like if you think the housing market will recover which it probably will like nothing is i mean knock on wood (laughs) but um if you can afford to buy when prices are lower then you know you might be able to take advantage of that. I'd also like
1: to add on top of that though that even if you m- might be able to afford a house within the next 6 months which it sounds like also please be sure to have your fully funded emergency fund again because when you buy a house you want it to be a blessing and if I feel like if you aren't financially prepared with an emergency fund you know everything possible that could go wrong with your new house would go wrong with your new house, so yep. you just want to make sure so that you true. have that cushion on top of a down payment to make sure that if and when you do eventually buy a house, whether it's a pa- in the pandemic or not, that you are still financially prepared to take over anything that could go wrong um, in your new house. So it's more so a blessing than it is a curse.
0: So just 100 percent. I, I think just flowing off of what Asia just said, it's important to read this next question about buying a house because. Um, her question says, I always hear that buying a house is a great investment and with current rates being lower than ever, now is a good time, even with the high market price. I wouldn't say I'm in the greatest place to buy a home. there you go. but have been considering it. Would it be worth it if I'm not sure what I what I'd want to do, example, move, for another job or go back to school. So that's kind of like what Asia said is something no, no. to consider.
2: Yeah. No, no. I think so probably I not think, the best time. No, <laughs> I think that the thing you have to consider is like interest rates are lower and prices will probably be lower, but that also means that like the value you get on your investment will also be lower. So, and, and depending on where you want to buy, like it could potentially hit like certain regions, like much harder. And like, you know if you can't sell your house or rent it out to people you could end up losing a lot of money Mm -hmm. um i think like in general buying a house is not like a fail safe like i think in the us for some reason like there's this like romanticism about buying a house but the reality is like the money that you put down for that down payment is money that you're not you're losing right so of course you're more a lot of people say like oh i'm paying rent so like i could be just paying a mortgage and have it go towards the house but you have to pay this like very large down payment and if your down payment is like a significant va- part of your total assets like you're losing the money that you could have been making on that down payment um you're not like generating any interest or revenue off of that down payment you know um and so like it's not it's not always a good investment for people
1: Basically, if you're in a really stable financial situation with a down payment and an emergency fund, then yeah, this is a perfect time. But if you're not in that position, then there's way more things to consider just
0: outside of low interest rates for a home mortgage. Yeah. yeah. If our current economic system collapses, what should we expect?
2: We have a, a pretty developed government agencies that are like trying to stabilize things. I mean, some people probably don't have a lot of faith in institutions, which is like fine, but, um, I like have relative amount of, um, faith in like our, in like our central bank's ability to stabilize things and, you know, a lot of policy experts ability to stabilize things. So I'm not like that concerned about everything completely destabilizing.
0: Let's do one more question, Laura what would be the best way to take action to try and improve the economy?
2: So it depends on your situation, right? So if you're working um, and you are pretty, have a secure job, then I think your first priority is to stay healthy and then um, try to continue um, supporting like the economy. So like, for example, I'm lucky enough to still have my job and just be working remotely. I'm still getting income. So I want to keep generating revenue for other people. Um, and then I think if you're in the situation where your income has stopped or been impacted, then always your health is the first priority. And then just trying to come up with ways that you can um, you can get through your period of of um, reduced revenue. so like applying for as many um, programs as possible. Besides the government programs, I've noticed there's also a lot of like grants that other other businesses are putting together, like facebook is has a grant um i think salesforce has a grant program where you can apply, if you're a small business impacted you can apply for money um and then also like trying to diversify your revenue and like diversify your income like um if you can offer stuff to make more money or like do something where you can try to to generate money in the in the meantime um cuz it's kind of like we're trying to survive the amount of time it takes for us to like uh either come up with treatment or reopen things because we have a better sense of who has it. And like, it's kind of like, we want to last until we're able to feel help feel safe again. Right. Um, the risk to our health is not as high. So doing everything you can to like, um, keep producing, I think.
0: I love that. I love that. You're still, um, paying like your lash girl and your facialist because um, a couple things on that. When this first started going down, I was still going to one of my client's houses to train her. And, um, excuse me. She was telling me that she was still paying her housekeeper, even though she wasn't coming in the house anymore. Um, just paying her a slightly reduced rate every week. And I thought that was really great. And I've had clients who have reached out to me and said like, Let me pay you for packages because I charge for like 12 packs of sessions. Like, let me pay you for packages up front early, even though we're not training right now because they're like homeschooling their kids and whatever else. And so it's just, it's great to see people doing those things that keep everything kind of keep the economy moving. You know, Mm
2: -hmm. if you don't, and that person goes out of business, then you don't have your like... (laughs) your person anymore you don't have your restaurant anymore your favorite restaurant or whatever so it's a benefit to you and it's a benefit to the economy because like everyone is impacted if um, things continue to like get worse right so like we really like I've read um, people have been donating their um, their what's it called recovery rebate payment if they didn't really need it Um, and I think that you know like it's everyone's decision is you know it's based on your own financials right but if you're in a place to to do that and support the economy then it's also a benefit to you it's not just giving it away and like not getting anything back because it, i think what this has this whole thing has kind of revealed is we're all very interconnected and like our actions impact each other um and if we can like try to be more collective with our actions um and think about like you know, how does me doing this one thing impact other people? Then overall, we will be better off, right? Like with social distancing, if everyone practices social distancing, then we all can be better off. Take care of each other. (laughs) Take care of (laughs) each other.
1: Wow, so informative, Amanda.
0: Thank you. This this was really great. Like I'm sure this is going to be incredibly helpful to our listeners, but this was really – informative for us too. Yeah. So thank I learned you. so much. Yeah.
1: And it was made so clear.
0: <laughs> yeah. And you did a really good job explaining things in terms that I think, you know, the everyday person can pick up on. So that was really cool. We'll
1: see you next week. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Amanda, for joining us. Bye. 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 Bye.